Welcome to the Church of the Living God Mount Sterling podcast. We hope you are blessed by this message. For more information about our church, follow us on Facebook by searching for our page, Church of the Living God Mount Sterling. We would love to connect with you, pray with you, and hear what God is doing in your life. Now grab your Bibles and let's get into God's Word. I never get over the um, honoring feeling it is to stand behind the pulpit because how many of you know we're not worthy of this, right? Daniel, you can turn me up just a little bit. I'm not Patrick. And I doubt I'm ever going to be that loud. <laughs> Amen. I just want to um, thank you. That's better. Awesome. I just want to uh, honor Pastor Patrick and thank him for the opportunity to speak. God started putting this particular word on my heart about three months ago. And uh, he told me, he said, you're going to preach this eventually, but not yet. It's not time yet. Because when he gives me a sermon, that usually means that a door is about to come open. Because I don't preach that much. So... He told me, he said, you're going to marinate on this one for a little while. And I think it was because I needed to hear it too. And it needed to get in me before it could come out of me. And so that's the way the word should be. It should, it should marinate in you. And then it should come out when it's reached maturity. Okay, it's like a fine wine. You don't pour it out the first day it's poured in. Let it marinate. But um, just a, a couple of quick updates. Last week... We uh, were in charge of the Liberian fundraiser. We, we are a part of an organization called Educate Liberia. And our Lexington pastor, Pastor Israel Davis, and his church are from Liberia. And the country of Liberia was torn apart by civil war about 20 years ago. And so they all immigrated to America for safety. But they've been sending funds and help back to Liberia because they want to see their country restored. Amen? Wouldn't we? Right? So two years ago, we started this project to build a school in a remote area of Liberia for the local children to be able to have education because the educational system was destroyed by the war. And so last week, with your help, because this church sewed in, we were able to reach our final goal, and they're wiring the money to Liberia to finish building the school. It'll be open next year. Amen? So I just want to thank you guys, because without your help, it could not have happened. And so we just really appreciate everything that you all did, and uh, whether you knew it or not, you're blessing a community in Liberia. Those children will be laid to your account. Because that's how the kingdom works. God looks for opportunities to bless you. And so thank you for all that you've done. Um, there's a story I don't tell very often. Because I was just a kid when it happened. But this morning during worship, the Lord put the story on my, on my heart. And I feel like he wants me to start with it today. It's the story of my uncle. Eric, who was uh, greatly injured in an accident, a car accident, when he was 18. This has been 
about 25 years ago now. And if you've been around the Winchester Church, you've probably heard my dad tell it. But most of you haven't heard it, so I'm going to share it with you today. Eric was 18 years old, and he was driving through Midway, where there's lots of pretty horse farms and those nice wooden fences that go along the horse farms. And he had a friend in the car. His friend's girlfriend was in the back seat. They were goofing off, going back and forth. And as they were goofing off with each other, they knocked the steering wheel and caused a car wreck. And so Eric goes off the road, and he goes through a, a plank fence, and a piece of wood about an inch and a half in diameter and six to eight inches long broke off of the fence, came through the windshield, and went into his brain. It entered above his right eye, broke his skull, and went into his right frontal lobe. He was airlifted to UK, where they immediately took him into open brain surgery. They removed his right frontal lobe and threw it away. They threw it in the trash can. Because as the piece of wood went into his brain, it splintered, causing different areas of the brain to be impacted. When the brain is impacted, it does not rejuvenate. The brain does not come back to life when it is dead. It is one of the most sensitive organs of the body. That's why it's so well protected. And so for the next several hours, he was in surgery. And the top neurosurgeon at UK Hospital was leading this team. And when my dad got the call, he, he went to the hospital. My dad is Eric's oldest brother. Eric's the baby of the family. And to make a very, very long story a little bit shorter, he wasn't supposed to live. They said it was a miracle he even survived the wreck, the impact at all. When, when something impacts your brain, it should shut you down. But it didn't. He lived. And so as they removed part of his brain, and his brain began to swell, and the pressure on his spinal column, and, and all of the things that go with that, his eyes dilated, his pupils blew out, his feet began to turn in, all signs of neurological death. They called the family to the bedside three times to tell him goodbye because they just didn't believe that any person could possibly survive what he had been through. But we serve a God who can. And after the first the initial shock of the first couple of days, my dad got his faith up under him. And he began to fight for his brother. And over the coming months, he would stand outside of Eric's ICU room, and he would look through the corner of the door where he could see him. And he would say, I speak life over Eric Hall, and I rebuke death. And I speak life, and I rebuke death. And he did this until one after the other after the other of the symptoms began to reverse themselves. His feet stopped turning in. His limbs extended. His body relaxed. He's a big guy. He's six foot four. Yes, he's adopted. My family is short. <laughs> but his limbs began to extend. His pupil dilation came down. His eyes came open. He got to wake up from his coma. After months... He woke up. The brain swelling decreased. And they said, at best, 
He'll only be a vegetable. He should not have survived. But the best you're looking at is he will never get out of this bed. He will never talk. He will never walk. He will never know your name because we threw his brain in the trash. But a few months later, when they discharged him to Cardinal Hill Rehab so he could learn to walk again, he was sitting up, he was eating, he was talking, and the first thing he said to my dad when he walked into his room at Cardinal Hill was, you got any salt? This food's bland. And he looked at him and he said, He said, but yeah, we can get you some salt. He said, do you know who I am? He said, yeah, Tommy, I know who you are. Did you know that your right frontal lobe controls the part of your brain that holds your memory? It holds your memory. So little things like names, places, dates, every single time he tried to recall some of that information, it should have been like hitting a brick wall. He should have been left in a state of confusion. Because that part of his brain was missing. It's still missing. It's not there. It's been 25 years. His brain is still in the trash can. And let me just tell you, he walks, he talks, and talks, and talks, and talks. He never stops talking. He is a miracle on two giant, ginormous six-foot-four feet. Because he is, he should not have survived the night now he's in his 40s, almost 50s. He has a son. He has grandchildren. Because our God is a wonder-working God. And so when we say we've seen real-life resurrection, let me just tell you, I've seen real-life resurrection. And it's too good to not believe. I watched him rise. I was young, but I remember. We spent many, many days at UK Hospital. And I remember at his high school graduation, about five months after the car wreck, when he walked across the stage to receive his diploma. And everyone in the uh, entire stadium stood up. And I looked at my mom and I said, they're worshiping. Because it felt like heaven in the air of that place when a dead man received his high school diploma. Not an empty seat where they placed an honor, but a real kid who walked across a real stage to receive a diploma he shouldn't have been alive to get. Yes, his life has forever changed. But he is a testimony of the goodness and faithfulness of God. He wasn't even a believer. It didn't take his faith. It took my dad's faith. It didn't take my, my grandfather's faith. My grandfather was an alcoholic. My grandmother was living in sin in an adulterous relationship in Ohio. She had to fly in. None of my dad's siblings were saved. But the faith of one raised a man from the dead. That's the God we serve. That's the God we serve. 
And so I want to challenge your faith. This has nothing to do with my sermon. (laughs) But I want to challenge your faith to believe audaciously. Because if you're willing to have audacious faith, you're going to see things that nobody else is going to see. You're going to see cancer disappear. You're going to see resurrection. You're going to see blind eyes open. And you're going to see the captive set free. Because that's what faith in God can do. Not faith in faith. Okay, you can't have faith in how great your faith is. Have faith in how great your God is. Amen. All right. Sermon number one. It was free. Amen. Turn with me to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 13. The message that God has placed on my heart for today, like I said, it's been ministering to me for the last several months as I've been studying. The message that he's placed on my heart today, I'm simply calling it heart sick. As Proverbs 13, 12 tells us, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your victorious, resurrecting spirit that's in this house. I thank you for the atmosphere that you alone have come and you have stood among us. Now, God, I ask you to stand here on this stage as I give you this moment. And I pray that you would speak through my mouth with utterance of the Holy Spirit and minister this word tenderly, vulnerably, in love. Because you love your children even when their heart is sick. In Jesus' name, amen. After we had Evie, Kate, our little fireball, we debated whether or not we were going to have another child. Um, I was 30 when I had Evie, and I'd always said I didn't want to be well into my 30s and having children. It didn't feel safe to me. And I wanted to have a different chapter of life by then. But there was something inside of my heart that would not let go of the desire of another child. Especially, but not limited to, a son. I really wanted a son. And at the beginning of this year, after almost five years of trying, we finally found out we were pregnant. How many of you know that after five years, my hope had been deferred? That word deferred means to drag on or to seize. My hope had stalled. Okay, hope is like faith, but hope is a lesser version of faith. Okay, because hope means expectation, and faith 
is an expectancy in the now. Hope is an expectancy in the someday. But my hope had been deferred. It had stalled. It had seized. And it was beginning to make my heart sick. And I told the Lord, I said, listen, I'm done seeking after the blessing. I'm ready to seek you, the God of the blessing. And it was at that time, I guess God rewarded my faith because at that time we found out we were pregnant. But of course, a month later, we unexpectedly lost that baby. And I, I was crushed. I was crushed. And all of the hope that I had was crushed. How many of you know my heart was sick? Your heart in this verse is referring to your inner man. And when it says that your heart is sick, it means that it's worn down. I was tired. I was exhausted. The struggle had been too much. I said, God, I'm, it's too much. I, I can't. I can't do this. Thankfully, we have an amazing church, and we have some amazing pastors, and you all carried us in that season. God carried us in that season. Because my heart was sick, and the longer we had to go through that, you know, we followed that up with John having not one but two surgeries. And uh, all of the amazing recovery time that comes with that. And let me just tell you, John's an only child. So he's a little rotten. <laughs> so John is a patient. It was a trial of faith. But I love you. Never give him narcotics. You don't want to see that version of him. But my heart was sick. I was worn down. I was tired. I was exhausted. I didn't think I could take one more step. And it was like, if you want a visual, it's like trying to walk through quicksand with a boulder on your back. That's how it felt. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt exhausted? Not physically, like a good nap would take care of it, but mentally exhausted, emotionally just fried. Can't take anything else in. And it was a season that I felt like even just the tiniest little thing was enough to just break me into a million pieces because I was worn down. I was sick. My inner man was sick. But the verse goes on to say that when desire comes, it is a tree of life. And I kept thinking, that means it's going to come eventually, right? It, 
it's going to come eventually. That word desire refers to the longing of one's heart. How many of you know God gives you the desires of your heart? And I take that to mean he places the desire in there. Because he wants to come into agreement with you on that. We all get heart sick. Okay? The first lie that you're told in a season like that is that you're the only one who's ever felt that way. That you're in this alone. Nobody's ever going to relate to how you feel. And it doesn't matter what causes you to get to that place, whether it's financial difficulties, problems at home, problems in your marriage, problems in your health, a miscarriage, whatever it is. Whatever causes your heart to become sick, whatever defers your hope, it makes you, it brings you to a place of isolation. And the enemy loves to isolate God's people. It's like a herd of antelope. If he can get you off alone, you're easy prey. That's why the house of God is so important, especially when your heart is sick. Because you need the fellowship of others. You need the encouragement of the body. The corporate worship. It can't be your only worship. But you need corporate worship to come through the hard seasons. That's why we can say things like, I raise a hallelujah in the middle of a storm. Because in the middle of the storm, corporately, we need that strength. And when you're in the battle, when you're fighting the battle, you cannot fight alone. How many armies do you see with one soldier? Absolutely none. That's a dead man. The army must fight together in order to have victory. Yes, God is our champion. Jesus is our Savior. But we're in a battle. Make no mistake. And the enemy of your soul wants nothing more than to wear you down and isolate you. Later on in Proverbs chapter 17, Proverbs chapter 17, it says, A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. That phrase dries the bones, the word dries there doesn't just mean to dry up, but it means to be ashamed, it means to be confused. And it means to be disappointed. Have you ever been disappointed? Have you ever been disappointed in yourself? I have. I've disappointed myself more times than I can count. Especially as a teenager growing up in church. I felt so much pressure to be a certain kind of person. That was all religion and no substance. And I sat in a pew, looking the part, but my heart was far from that place. And that caused me to do a lot of things because I was a very broken person. And my broken spirit had dried my bones. And then in Proverbs 15, Proverbs 15, verse 13. 
It says a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. But the sorrow, but by sorrow of the heart, is the spirit broken. Think for a moment. Just you in your seat. You don't have to say anything to anybody. What is it that broke your spirit? What was the moment in your life, maybe it was one, maybe it was multiple, that you looked at yourself in the mirror and realized you were broken? I remember that moment when the person I saw in the mirror was foreign to me. I was broken. And I did not have a merry heart or a cheerful countenance. But the sorrow of my heart had made me broken. I was wounded. The word broken there means wounded. Have you ever been wounded? Maybe you were wounded by your friends when they expected too much of you. Expected you to be them and not you. Maybe you were wounded by your family when they didn't keep their side of the bargain. They didn't hold up their end of the relationship. When they broke your trust. Maybe you were wounded by someone you should have been able to trust. A leader. A teacher. Someone in authority over you. But instead you found that they were not who you needed them to be. They were not who you thought they were. Broken. Wounded. That's why we don't put people on pedestals. Because people are all broken. It's the mission of this world to break you. It's the mission of the cross to put you back together. There is mercy and there is grace and there is love for the most broken among us. And there is nothing in your life that has broken you to the point that he cannot fix it. I have been shattered in a million pieces. They could have picked me up in five counties if it had been an actual representation of how I felt. But he, in his grace and in his mercy and in his patience, he put me piece by piece back together. And when he was done restoring my soul, it wasn't the broken mess it was before. But it was a new creation reassembled to look like him, not to look like me. Because I'm just a mess. Let me just tell you, you guys don't know me that well because it's only been a couple of years, but I can tell you right now, I'm a mess. I've been a mess. I am an anxiety-ridden, fearful, guilty, ashamed, broken, wounded, untrusting, shadow of a religious person who was raised in church And I thought I knew Jesus. 
But when the person who represented Jesus to me broke me, all of that went out the window. And I didn't even know who I was, let alone who he was. But by his grace and by his mercy, he didn't give up on me. He put me back together. And he gave me a new name. Not broken. Not wounded. Not victim. Daughter. Valued. Strong. Not strong as in I have to keep everybody out because that's the way I tried to live. I tried to build the walls to the point that I had nobody because I didn't want anyone to hurt me. I pushed everyone away. Friends, family, I wouldn't date anybody. I didn't want anything to do with people because people just let you down. People just break your trust. People just hurt you. But Jesus, let me just tell you, he's not like anybody else you'll ever meet. He's never going to let you down. And he cared enough about me as his daughter, as his friend. He cared enough about me to not leave me in my mess, to not leave me in my shame. And on a beautiful, sunny day, in the earliest part of May, sitting on a college campus at a Bible college in Joplin, Missouri, when I felt like my world was literally going to fall apart, I couldn't even put together a smile. I went into a chapel service that I was required to be in, and there was a guest speaker who stood there and said, give it to Jesus. Give it all to Jesus. And I said, oh, God, I've given you my life. I've given it to you. Because that's what we do, right? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. I had just gotten done telling God how it wasn't fine. How I wasn't fine. But then when the preacher says, okay, no more games. It's time. Then I'm looking at Jesus and I'm saying, you know what, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. But the minister went on and he said, you've given God your life, but you haven't given him that. Before I even knew where I was, I was at the altar. Because he had nailed my situation. I had given him all of that. God, I'm keeping this part because it's ugly and I'm ashamed of it. And I don't want you to see it because a good Christian girl shouldn't have this in her. So, God, I'm keeping this. And God said, no, honey, I can't fix it unless you give it to me. And so I went to the altar. And that day, I was set free. For the first time, I was free. 
I was free of fear. I was free of guilt. I was free of shame. And I actually got up on my feet and held my head up for the first time because the rejection was gone. And suddenly the wounds that I received in the house of God were not enough to keep me broken. So I'm speaking to you out of experience today. Because from the time I was a young child to now, to the difficulties I've experienced even in this season, I can tell you with assurance, I know what it's like to be heart sick. I know what it's like to have your hope deferred. To expect something great and to receive something opposite. To set yourself up for something awesome and joyful and amazing. And then receive something that breaks you. I've been there. I've been there recently. I know how that feels. But when you are wounded, when your heart is sick, when your expectation has begun to drag behind, when you are worn down and you are in pain and you are wounded, God has given you grace and mercy to navigate even this season. Grace and mercy to navigate this season. Because let me just tell you, he alone fixes the heart. He alone is the healer that mends the heart sick. He can heal your heart in the same way he can heal your body. In the same way he can heal your mind. And whatever illness it is that's taken over your heart, whether it's rejection or abandonment or just being worn out from waiting, whether it's fear or guilt or shame, realizing you don't live up to everybody else's expectation of you, there's only one expectation that matters, and it's his. And he expects to heal you. He expects to fix you because he knows what's broken in you. The creator who made you, he says, honey, just give it. Give it to me. Let me fix it. I see it. I see what's broken. I do this to my kids when they break a toy. And they're like crying because it's broken. And it's their favorite thing for that moment. But it's broken. They didn't care about it five minutes ago, but now this is broken, so it matters. And I just say, honey, just give it to me. Just give it to me. Let me fix it. Let me fix it. Your Father in heaven is looking at you today. And he's saying, honey, just let me fix it. I I want to fix it. Your heart. Your heart is broken, your heart is wounded, your heart is sick. I want to fix it. He says, I don't want to leave you in this mess. I don't want to leave you in this condition. 
let me heal you. Let me put you back together. And I'm going to leave out the bad stuff. I'm going to leave out the shame. And I'm going to leave out the wounding. And the memory of the thing that wounded you is not going to be an open sore anymore. It's going to be a memory of how I put you back together. We're in a situation with my dad. Some of you know him. He is a powerful man of God, an extremely intelligent man. And for the last five years, he's been battling an undiagnosed cognitive issue. The doctors can find nothing wrong. And yet, some days, he is absolutely a shell of himself. He gets lost. He's always been able to navigate. He's always remembered where he's going. He's never needed a map to go anywhere. He gets lost. He can't calculate even simple math. Math has always been his strong suit. He's always been quick-witted. And he could always preach the pain off the walls. And in the last couple years, he can't put together a sermon without help. And even then, it's a struggle. My hope has been deferred. It has begun to drag. And in this season, when the thing you want the most is the one thing you cannot control, how many of you know your heart is sick? But know where your hope is. That helps. This time around, when my hope became deferred, I understood where my faith lies. It's in the one who heals. It's in the one whose timing is perfect. The one who holds us all together. The one who can resurrect the body and the mind. The one who can restore even the most broken among us. And let me just tell you, for the last week and a half, my dad has begun to revive. It's not perfect, but it is an improvement, and I'll take it. And in the next month, I expect to see more. And I tell you that it is my hope, it is my faith that a year from now, he will stand on this stage and you will not recognize him. Because the person that he should be, the fire he should have, will be all over him. And you have yet to see that. So let me just tell you quickly how to navigate heart sickness. First of all, identify your enemy. Know who it is who's making your hope defer and your heart sick. It isn't God. His timing is perfect. His ways are higher. There is only one who lies to your heart. And it is not the one who desires the best for you. But it is the one who seeks to destroy you, my friend. He is the one lying to you. Identify your enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, Ephesians chapter 6, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Heart sickness is a symptom. 
It's a symptom. And often it comes from war. It comes from war. Because you're fighting an enemy who's trying to destroy you. And if he can hold your hope off long enough, you'll destroy yourself. He doesn't even have to do it. Second, take on the full armor of God. If you're going to go up against an enemy who's out to kill you, you better have some armor. As it says in Ephesians chapter 6, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, okay? Belt of truth. Keep truth in the center of your life. Never deviate from the truth. If you keep truth at the center, you will never lose your balance. You will never lose your way. Truth must be the center. Have your loins girt about with truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness means right standing with God. Guard your heart with right standing. Keep yourself in right standing because when your heart is sick, you are vulnerable. You are vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. So keep your heart in the right place. Keep it protected with the right standing of God. That means you better be spending time in the secret place. Because that's how you stay in right standing. You stay in the presence of Jehovah. When you're in love with the one who made your soul, you cannot betray the love of your life. Have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That means you're not out to defend, but you're taking ground for the gospel. And above all, taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. It may be your last defense when your hope is deferred and your heart is sick. Maybe your body and your soul are worn down, but you better keep your faith up. Because when those darts come, and they will come, especially when you're vulnerable, you have to have a defense. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So keep truth at the center. Protect your heart with right standing. Stay in the secret place. Go in peace, not war. Don't fight your own battles. Let the Lord fight for you. Let your faith guard you in the season of vulnerability. Filter your thoughts through the lens of holiness. Because salvation will keep you from allowing those imaginations of your own mind to take root in you. Because when, when imagination takes root, it produces sin. But if you'll cast down imaginations, if you'll filter your thoughts through the lens of salvation, through the lens of holiness, your mind will be protected. And then when it comes time to fight, wield the word as your weapon. Wield the word. So identify your enemy. Put on the full armor of God. Follow the Lord's lead. Proverbs 16, 9. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. You make your plans, but you better ask God first. Don't you take one step without him. You know what God does when you make a plan? He laughs. And then he says, 
Uh-uh. The steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. Keep worshiping. Psalm 9, 1. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. You mean this sick heart? Yeah. Even the sick heart. I will praise you with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. You better start encouraging yourself with your testimony. Worship him with your whole heart, even when it's sick and worn down. In the presence of God is healing and renewal. That's where you need to be when you're sick. Wait patiently. For God, wait patiently. Hope deferred. You've placed an expectation, and it has been stalled, it has been delayed. But if you will wait patiently on God. Psalm 27, verse 14, and this one's in the Passion Translation because it's too good to ignore. It says, here's what I've learned through it all. And I can tell you this from experience. Here's what I've learned through it all. Don't give up. Don't be impatient. But be entwined as one with the Lord. Be brave and courageous. And never lose hope. Yes, Keep on waiting, for he will never disappoint you. He will never disappoint you. It might take longer than you think, but he will never disappoint you. Don't give up. Don't be impatient. God's timing is perfect. He sees the big picture. You only see a little bit. And maybe there's something about the waiting that he wants you to see. Maybe there's something in the waiting that he wants to bring into your heart to strengthen you in that time while you're in the preparation for receiving the blessing. God says it's coming, but I'm preparing you to receive it because you're not ready yet. He will never disappoint you. Keep on waiting. Your hope may be delayed, but you still have hope. One of my favorite verses in college. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? But hope in God. For yet shall I praise him for the help of his countenance. When my soul is going... Uh, I, I'm restless. I can't, I can't wait here any longer. God, something's got to change. Oh, why are you cast down, oh, my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For the hope, the help of his countenance. I will praise him for the help of his countenance. Heart sick. It manifests in a lot of ways. But as I bring this sermon to a close, I want to ask you a question. And I don't want you to answer it quickly. Because the quick answer is never the right one. 
is your heart sick? Is your heart sick? If it is, I encourage you to meet us at this altar. Because there is a God who heals the heart sick. And it doesn't matter how sick it is. It doesn't matter how far it's gone. There is no shame he cannot take down. There is no sin he cannot repay. He cannot wash away. There is no fear that's bigger than him. There is no guilt that he cannot take away from your heart. Whatever it is that's got you bound up, weighed down, and heart sick, leave it at the altar. Because the one who made your heart wants to put you back together. Amen. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite Pastor Patrick back to the pulpit. Because this is his pulpit. And so I defer to his judgment. Father God, I thank you so much because you've brought this message in the way that you intended. And I know that there are those in here who are heart sick. And I ask you, Lord, to minister to those hearts. I pray that none of us would leave here the same. But that our hope and our trust and our faith will be in you, God, and in you alone. And I thank you that you are faithful and you are true. Even when my heart has gone astray, God, you did not leave, but you stayed. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.